This Star News Media Podcast is presented by North Chase Family Dentistry. Open evenings, Saturdays, and they probably take your insurance. Visit them on the web at NorthChaseFamilyDentistry.com. And by Tidewater Heating and Air Conditioning, servicing all major brands with highly trained technicians who are the best the industry has to offer. Serving Wilmington and surrounding communities for more than 40 years. Learn more at TidewaterAC.com. Life and death have a way of seeping into the ground. Over the centuries, mankind has populated the North American continent, from primitive tribes to advanced civilizations. It has seen untold amounts of life and joy, pain and death, peace and war. In time, like any living thing, this green earth is bound to bear the scars of the lives it has hosted. Or at least that's the theory behind ghost stories in every corner of the globe. Are spirits the mere reflections of past lives and events now bound to an eternity on the sites they once inhabited? It's certainly one possible explanation for the many unexplained occurrences that have plagued battlefields across this country especially those made infamous by the Civil War. In the war between the states, brothers fought brothers, fellow Americans became warring neighbors, and a country was ripped apart at its seams, some of which, still to this day, have not yet healed. On farmlands and coastal shorelines, that became the unwilling theaters of killing and sacrifice. Is it really that far-fetched to believe that land once stained with blood can forever be marked by the impression of the men who lay dead or mortally wounded on it? If we as a country are still living with the figurative ghost of our past, isn't it possible that battlefields like Fort Fisher in Wilmington are still living with theirs? This is Cape Fear Unearthed, the podcast exploring the persisting legends, historical oddities, and mysterious figures of southeastern North Carolina. I'm your host, Hunter Ingram, and I'm a reporter with the Star News here in Wilmington. I want to welcome everyone to another installment in our ongoing series, A Cape Fear Unearthed Halloween. Next January, we're going to finally dig into a topic that we've been dancing around since the start of this podcast, the Battles of Fort Fisher. It's a location that has figured prominently into several of our most popular episodes, from Rose O'Neill Greenhow to the Fort Fisher Hermit. But I've held off on telling the full story of the site's Civil War significance because I wanted to make sure I did it at a moment when it could really resonate with our listeners. In January, the State Historic Site will commemorate the 155th anniversary of the fall of Fort Fisher 
and the beginning of the end for the Confederacy, with a massive event marked by the booming sound of cannon fire and the rallying cries of reenactors. In advance of that occasion, we will premiere an episode on the history of the fort, the importance of the battles it hosted, and the significance of the people who populated it, with a particular focus on the African and Native Americans who helped build it. But in telling that massive story, I didn't want to ignore an enduring legend about one general's supposedly never-ending service to the fort. So this week, I'm going to tee up our Fort Fisher episode with the story of one of its most respected figures, Major General William H. C. Whiting. Not only is his story defined by his service at Fort Fisher, it's on the remaining earthworks that legend claims the Major General still patrols the grounds, watching for the enemy's approach a century and a half after its fall and his death. For this special series, we won't have any guests. It's just going to be me telling you these stories campfire style. So pull up a log and settle in for the next chapter in a Cape Fear Unearthed Halloween as we tell the story of the eternal service of Major General William Whiting. William Henry Chase Whiting was born on March 22, 1824, in Biloxi, on the southern shore of Mississippi. Today, Biloxi is known as a coastal casino community and has the notoriety of almost being wiped off the map by Hurricane Katrina in 2005. It's also home to the Jefferson Davis Presidential Library and Museum, a massive structure named for the first and only president of the Confederate States of America. I tell you this just in case you needed any further indication of just how deep in the South Whiting was born. Still, he had Northern influences in his parents, both of whom were from Massachusetts, where he would spend some of his childhood. Whiting's life has been the subject of many historical accounts of Fort Fisher, including those by local historians, like our frequent guest Chris E. Fonville Jr., and those works were vital in piecing together the history of the Major General. From an early age, Whiting exhibited off-the-charts intellect and prowess. He entered Georgetown College in Washington, D.C. at age 14, and completed what was supposed to be a four-year program in half the time. In 1841, he enrolled in the United States Military Academy at West Point in New York, the premier training ground for the country's future military leaders. Ulysses S. Grant and Robert E. Lee, the two defining commanders of the Civil War, both attended West Point, as did George Patton, Douglas MacArthur, and President Dwight Eisenhower. In 
Whiting had military service in his blood. His grandfather fought in the American Revolution, and his father, Levi, would serve for more than 40 years in the U.S. Army. But Whiting was a head above the average cadet. He graduated from West Point four years later at the top of his class, with higher marks than any cadet before him. Right out of the academy, he was given a post in the elite Corps of Engineers, where he served for more than 15 years, with most of his pre-war years spent in the South. During that time, he cut his teeth on building coastal defenses up and down the East Coast. In 1857, while posted at Fort Caswell, one of the Cape Fear's defenses near Oak Island, he married Catherine Davis Walker, a Wilmington woman that many accounts refer to as quote-unquote pretty and agreeable. Between a career spent serving in the South and the connections to the Cape Fear region he now had through marriage, it's no wonder that as soon as the southern states started to secede from the Union, Whiting enlisted in the Confederate Army. Doing so was an extraordinary rejection of the country and the Union that he had vowed to defend for nearly two decades. But the South was his home, and it was rapidly breaking away. He would bounce around in every state between Virginia and Florida in the first 18 months of the war, accepting several posts, including an appointment as the Inspector General of North Carolina's Coastal Defenses, a position that based him in Wilmington. As I've told you many times on the podcast before, Wilmington's importance to the Confederacy, as a port through which it received reinforcements, only grew as the war went on. Every day, blockade runners would make the dangerous push through the Union blockade off the Carolina coast, which had been ordered by President Abraham Lincoln at the start of the war. While stationed in North Carolina, Whiting was to prepare the Cape Fear region for the purpose that it would ultimately serve in the Confederacy's war effort as a last line of coastal defense. By November 1862, he had made his way back to the Cape Fear and was promoted to Major General. Most historians credit Whiting with helping engineer the local region's incredibly sturdy network of defenses, particularly the earthen mounds at Fort Fisher. Again, we'll talk further about the fort's construction in our upcoming episode. But it should be noted that even though Whiting contributed to the fortification of Wilmington and the surrounding region, he wasn't a beloved figure among the Confederacy's high command. Sure, they respected his intelligence, his skilled engineering mind, and his brazen drive to fight for the Southern cause. But he was also seen as arrogant and annoying. He craved praise for his accomplishments and was, according to some, not what we would call a team player today. Confederate President Jefferson Davis is quoted as calling him heroic earlier in the war. But as time went on, 
he found him to be so disobedient and blunt that he ordered Whiting be cast out of the inner circle for his quote-unquote mutinous and disorganized spirit. At one point, Davis sent Whiting an offer for a promotion, and Whiting responded by declining the offer, and in turn, offering his own list of criticisms of Davis's performance as the Confederacy's leader. He didn't find a friend in General Robert E. Lee either, who found him to be just as irritating. The residents of the Cape Fear also didn't take kindly to his station in their backyard, though some found a few kind words to say about him. A Confederate officer stationed at Fort Fisher would later write, quote, He was not popular with many of the citizens, as he was arbitrary and paid little attention to the requests of civilians. He was a very handsome, soldierly-looking man, and though rough in his manners, he was a gentleman at heart, incapable of anything mean or low, and of undaunted courage. End quote. His short stature would also earn him the nickname Little Billy, something I can't imagine he didn't find at least a little bit condescending. After a brief service under General Beauregard in the summer of 1864, Whiting was back in Wilmington by the fall, just in time for the first attack on Fort Fisher. The Union's first attempt to overcome the fort and take Wilmington came after dark on Christmas Eve 1864 and persisted for three days. Whiting and his men were able to fend off the assault and push the Federals back out to sea, but he was weary that they would try it again, sooner than some of his superiors wanted to believe. So, he retreated to his superior officer, General Braxton Bragg, and demanded that reinforcements be relocated to the fort in preparation of a second assault. But Bragg, fatefully, never listened. Ultimately, Whiting would prove to be right, as the Union reappeared off the coast of Fort Fisher less than three weeks later, on January 13, 1865, deploying an assault that would prove to be the death knell for the fort. With few supporters in his corner at this point, and likely recognizing the struggle that lie ahead should the Confederacy lose Fort Fisher, Whiting charged the battlefield with his men and fought in defense of the fort that he helped mastermind. Even in the thick of battle, he continued to plead with Bragg every chance he got to send more men, to no avail. In a hail of bullets and blood, Whiting was shot in the leg and captured as a Union prisoner. He would be the one to officially surrender the fort to Union forces on January 15, 1865, and was promised by the Union that the Confederate troops captured at the fort would be treated kindly. In his book, The Wilmington Campaign, Last Rays of Departing Hope, Fonville Jr. quotes Whiting as shouting, Goodbye, boys, as he's carted away on a stretcher marking the final time that any of his men would see him alive. His wounds weren't fatal, 
But his ego and the persistence that had driven him all these years were certainly bruised. As a prisoner at Fort Columbus in New York, he fought off depression and was haunted by thoughts of how Fort Fisher could have been saved had Bragg heeded his plea for more men. But the harsh winter conditions and his life as a wounded soldier and prisoner proved to be a deadly combination for Whiting, who died of dysentery on March 10, 1865. Initially buried in New York, his wife had him disinterred and reburied at Oakdale Cemetery in Wilmington in 1900, where she would join him the following year. This, of course, is not where Whiting's story ends, if you believe in ghosts. Stories of Whiting's possible haunting of Fort Fisher stem from a singular encounter between a lonely specter and the men who knew him best. It happened many years after the war came to an end, when a handful of veterans from the fight who managed to get out of Fort Fisher alive returned to the killing field. They walked the grounds, which still bore the wounds of the battle, in craters from cannon fire and bald spots of grass still trying to grow back. They had their memories of the horrors of war, but here they could still see the scars of it. As the sun began to set and they wrapped up their visit, they noticed a figure, quietly but confidently, marching up to the top of a gun emplacement on one of the earthworks. Impossibly, it was Whiting, the men said, having defied death to stand in front of them. Now, some of you may be asking how these men knew who the hazy figure was from a distance, but as the legend goes, they said they'd never forgotten the stride of their former commander, Little Billy, who had been forever seared into their memory. When a few of them started to walk toward the figure, he vanished. And as soon as it happened, one of them broke the silence to acknowledge that where he had appeared was the exact spot that Whiting had been shot. The men maintained their silence about the experience for years, but they were all in agreement on what they had seen. In their minds, Whiting was still commanding Fort Fisher, possibly trying to right the mistakes he feels the Confederacy made. Whether you believe in that is certainly up to you, but paranormal groups have spent time monitoring every bump, creak, and moan in the night at the fort and believe that it is still very much alive with the activity of the dead. Port City Paranormal in particular, Port City Paranormal in particular, has picked up the sound of boots walking on wooden planks, the kind that would have been built into the fort's earthworks, but no longer exist. Today, you can climb up into a reconstructed emplacement like those that would have been used and look out with the river at your back and the ocean stretched out in front of you. The same view that Whiting's ghost is said to take in himself. 
people have reported hearing disembodied voices and felt unexplained touches as they walk the grounds. Some also reported seeing whiting themselves. For years, guests even reported hearing what sounded like the distant boom of cannons, though that has been attributed to the echoes of containers being loaded onto ships at the port down the river. But it's that encounter between whiting and the veterans that is perhaps most chilling of all. The Confederacy was fighting for a way of life that included slavery. And that is simply inexcusable. But for the veterans in this legend, the war was likely never over, regardless of who won. In returning to Fort Fisher, they stood on one of the final stages of an era in American history that was finally over. And on that battlefield, they had to swallow the bitter pill of the human cost that came with the fight. So yeah, maybe it was the ghost of Whiting, out for a stroll to make sure no more damn Yankees snuck up on him again. Or maybe the veterans had come in search of some sort of resolution. And for them, it manifested in the fleeting vision of their former commander still fighting for their lost cause. Regardless of the answer, is it really that hard to believe that Major General William Whiting, whose life was defined by the rise and fall of Fort Fisher, would be left to spend eternity watching over it? That's it for the latest installment in A Cape Fear Unearthed Halloween and our look at the haunting of Little Billy. Thank you so much for joining me. We'll be back next Thursday with the final chapter in our haunted history book for 2019. Until then, be sure to share your thoughts on the show on Twitter by following our new account at CF Unearthed and by tweeting the hashtag CF Unearthed. Or you can email me directly at capefearunearthed at gmail.com. Also, please make sure that you're a member of our Facebook group, where listeners can ask questions about our episodes and share their own memories of the region's history. In that group, I post extra content for each episode. And this week, I'm going to be sharing pictures of Major General Whiting and some of the figures featured in this episode. You can find that group by searching Cape Fear Unearthed on Facebook. And don't forget to sign up for the Cape Fear Unearthed newsletter that goes out every Thursday. In it, I include links to our new episodes and any supplemental pictures or videos that I uncover in my research, all delivered right to your inbox. Sign up for the newsletter at starnewsonline.com slash newsletters. As always, you can find a list of all the books, articles, and resources used in researching this podcast in the show notes of each episode. Cape Fear Unearthed is written, edited, and hosted by me, Hunter Ingram. You can find more of my work at starnewsonline.com or on Twitter at Hunter underscore Wesley. Additional editing is done by Adam Fish. 
This podcast is made possible by listeners and readers like you. Support local journalism and Cape Fear Unearthed by subscribing to the Star News today at starnewsonline.com slash subscribe. And while you're subscribing to things, be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get the show so you never miss an episode. And while you're there, leave us a review, which will help more people find Cape Fear Unearthed. Until next time, get out and explore the Cape Fear region on your own. You never know what spooky things you might unearth. <laughs>